0: actually blessed today to have a very special guest with us. Uh, you're all very special guests but you're part of the family but we are um, blessed to have Joe Thompson with us. Now Joe is the chaplain at Lefevre, Um High School and she's the chaplain who coordinates the noodles and the up and goes and the muesli bars and all of that stuff that we collect and, and take to her and she's Along, I've invited her along today to introduce her to you guys. Uh, who thinks that's a good idea? Yeah. Who'd like to meet Joe? <laughs> Joe's actually um, very new to the job. She only started this year and then COVID hit, so it's been a pretty crazy year for her. Um, and she replaced Anita, who was a chaplain there for however long, years, lots of years. So she's filling big shoes, but she's doing a fantastic job. And... Um, once you get to know her, you'll love her and you'll have a reason to pray for her even more. So uh, why don't you come up, Joe, and ha- say g'day. Thank you.
1: Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Excuse me reading off my notes. I'm not a lover of public speaking, so <laughs> bear with me. Um, as Ben said, my name's Joe. Uh, and I'm the pastoral care worker at Lafever High at Semaphore. Um, I also share the pastoral care worker role at Ocean View College at Taparu temporarily. Um, ben kindly invited me to share with you this morning a little bit about what's been happening at Lafeva. As a pastoral care worker, my role is to offer support to students, staff and the broader school community. One of the programs supporting students at Fever is the Chill Out lunchtime program. Chill Out is run three times a week. Utilising donations from Food Bank, from you guys, the Port Church and several other churches local to the Port Adelaide area, myself and the wellbeing team prepare and serve an average of 50 toasted sandwiches each day to students attending school without lunch. In addition, we have fresh fruit available. On the days that chill out is not running, students without lunch are able to access two-minute noodle cups through the student support office or the wellbeing team. On Thursday mornings, we distribute up and go and muesli bars through our newly established breakfast program. We distribute approximately 65 cartons of up and go and around 40 muesli bars every week. The breakfast program was established at the beginning of term three this year, so it's a new program to the school. The program has been extremely well received and will hopefully be expanded to include more than one day weekly in the very near future. 2020 has been an extremely difficult year for teaching staff across the globe. On Monday the 12th of October, the teachers at LaFeva were recognised and thanked at a Teacher Appreciation Day morning tea. This event was expertly coordinated by your own Juanita Sweeney. So thank you, Juanita. <laughs> the local churches, including the Port Church, provided a beautiful selection of food staff at lefevre sincerely appreciated the kindness and generosity that was expressed through this event to support the broader school community we distribute food hampers to families in need we distribute two or three food hampers every week and again the food hampers are provided by the port church over the coming weeks, we will be exploring the possibility of establishing a student mentoring program, specifically focusing on building relationships between the younger students at La Fever High and Christian youth leaders representing several of our local churches. We're excited to welcome Benito's contribution to the planning and implementation of this program. Thanks, Benito. <laughs> I would like to extend my sincere thanks for the enormous generosity the Port Church congregation have shown the fever over many years. Without your support much of what we are able to do would be impossible. Your ongoing support of our programs through donations of noodles, up and go, muesli bars and food hampers is deeply appreciated and very much valued. I would also like to thank you for remembering us in your prayers. As our Year 12 students prepare for their final exams, please pray for them. As our 2021 Year 8 students prepare to transition from primary school to high school, please also pray for them. And as one of our students journeys through medical treatment having recently been diagnosed with leukaemia, please pray for him and his family. So on behalf of every student and staff member at Lafever, I extend our thanks and gratitude for all that you do. What you do for our community makes a huge difference. The way you love our school community is exemplary. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: We're going pr- to pray for Jo. Uh, just pray for her and pray for the work she does. Obviously, those prayer needs are there. But why don't we be upstanding? That'd be great. I'm going to ask Chris... Morgan, to come and pray for Joe and lead us in prayer, as uh, and this this is the big not the beginning. It's an ongoing relationship. But now that you've met Joe and you'll get to chat with her more, you can put a face to your prayers and keep praying for her in the school. Amen. Thanks, God.
2: Father. We thank you for Joe and we thank you for the work that she is doing for fever High and I pray that Lord you just give her strength to do it and Father I pray that you also give her new ideas, ideas for her to use to reach those the children or the young adults in her school Father. I pray that you give her wisdom and knowledge that she'll be able to use as well Father but also I pray for those the young man who's got cancer and Father I pray for their different programs that they have that they'll be Received and they'll be received well, Father. And I thank you for Joe and her heart and the heart that she has for the school, Father, and for what she does. And I pray you bless her. Bless her, Father, and bless her in the, what she does and the sacrifices that she makes. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Awesome. Give Jo a clap. <laughs> um, I've got a testimony to share before I preach. And... Um, she might be watching this on the live stream. Everyone knows Joyce had a hip operation um, and uh, she's still in hospital. She had some complications during the week, um, had a twisted bow, and they had to go and operate again, which was a pretty serious thing. It was uh, pretty significant and very dangerous. And I went to visit her on Friday and we shared communion and it was incredible time. We were just praying and it, the amazing thing happened. I've never experienced this before. I've been a pastor for twenty odd years, and um, we're there praying. We'd had communion. We're praying, and the two intern doctors walked in and said, "Oh, excuse me, can we interrupt?" And I said, "Yeah, sure, you can interrupt." And um, they said, "Oh, we just—they went through some of the medical stuff with her and and what had happened, and made sure she was all right, and then um, they." They went to go and one of them said, oh, do you mind if I stay and pray with you? It's a, a, a doctor stopped and said, can we, and so the other one left and he stayed and he prayed with Joyce, prayed an amazing prayer of faith and said, you know, you, basically along the lines of we thank you for the doctors and thank you for what they do but we know you're the only one that can truly heal and and it was just incredible and and, and then he said, left and we're just both standing there going, have you ever experienced that before? To both. That's incredible. and it was but what it was was an amazing testimony to Joyce who's in this really difficult time and God brings a doctor to pray for her. To remind her that he's in this. He's with her. He's not left her and and she's gonna be okay. So I continue to pray for her and um and pray for Doug this week as well. He goes in for surgery tomorrow. And um We should pray right now, Doug, actually. Pray for you. Gordo, lay your hand on him. And Lord, we just pray for Doug right now as he goes in tomorrow for significant surgery. God, we just pray that you are with him, that we know you're with him and that you, you are with the doctors that are doing this operation, that you would lead and guide them. And that, Lord, he will have a peace to know that everything will be okay. That he will come through this and that there will be better times ahead because of all of this. And we just pray your hand upon him and your peace and your strength with him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've got something exciting for you today. Anyone excited about this? This is a zucchini. If you didn't know. Yes? It's out of our garden. It's it's actually the third one. How amazing is that? Um, but when I saw it on the zucchini plant the other day, it reminded me that this time last year, Gordo, Benito and myself with Ashok were in India. We were visiting India and preaching. And I remember going to one church in India and uh, at the end, the people were so poor that all they could bring was their produce that they had grown, and they gave that as an offering. And then we're leaving church, and all of a sudden I see the pastor up standing up on the church steps, and he's got a big, massive, um, what was it, trombone in his hand, and he's auctioning it off to raise money with for the people who could afford to buy it. And so I thought, we love Good Samaritan Ministry and what they do in India. I thought after the service. We're going to auction this off. (laughs) How's that sound? And the money raised, whoever bids the highest gets the zucchini. (laughs) But the money raised will go to Good Samaritan Ministries, all right? So I'm giving you time to dig deep into your pockets and get your money ready. Because there might be a bit of competition in the bidding. Is that right, Damien? You love your zucchini. It's purely organic, no ad- additives. Luke and Alex, I think you should be high on this bidding process. Internet, internet, on- online bidding. <laughs> People on at home streaming, you can online bid. Just message on to David and uh, he'll put your bid up. Should be pretty exciting. He's keen for that. You just want me to preach fast now, don't you? Get it over and done with, get out of it, and let's get to the bidding. Cause... Yep, Joyce can bid as well. All right, let's pray, and we'll get into the Word. Lord God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your church and the, the family that is here in this place, and even those that are watching us from home. We pray that you come and speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, and grow us closer to you. Transform us more and more into the image of your precious Son, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Isaiah 40 verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And Julie summed it up really powerfully last week when she preached. And she, she talked about the fact that this passage, in a nutshell, is all about Relationship. She talked about the fact that God wants to have relationship with us. And sometimes she talked about the fact that sometimes relationship with God is loud and extravagant, a little bit like the worship we just had. It's big and it's loud and it's impacting and it's huge. But the majority of the time, our relationship with God is about the everyday things in life. It's about living our lives for God in the way that would please him and And honour him. And when I I was sharing on this passage a few weeks ago, I talked about the fact that the word renew there actually talks about an exchange. And in that exchange, God wants to establish covenant relationship with us. He wants to exchange our brokenness for his wholeness. He wants to exchange our sin for his righteousness. Isn't that right? And that's what he brings in covenant relationship with him. And we learnt about the fact that having a relationship with God is all about being present, not about how we perform. We talked about a good waiter, that we're at a, in a restaurant where a good waiter is someone who is present first. And from being present, then from being present flows his performance or her performance, That that it's not just about performing it's about number 1 watching and waiting on your customer on your lord on your as a servant on on whoever you're serving it's it's about looking and listening and watching and then as we know the person we're serving then we can provide what they need and this is what our relationship with God is all about being present not about performing i finished my message and i want to start this one back at this verse in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, where it says, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, this is Jesus speaking, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This passage gives us a really clear structure for how our relationship with God should operate. As you see, Jesus is inviting us to take his yoke upon me. Now in our modern day terms, that's a fairly unusual term. But in his day, he was referring to a very common farming practice of his day. Some of you might be aware of this, but back in those days, when a farmer went and bought a new ox... A young new ox. What they would do before they would set it out to ploughing the fields, they would yoke it or put it next to a old experienced ox. So they'd, they'd yoke this young ox to the old experienced ox with the idea that the older ox would train the younger ox. Now, you can imagine what would happen when the younger ox got yoked to an older ox usually to start with it would strain against the older ox it, it would go I don't want to be here I want to do what I want to do I'm going to go where I want to go and then it would discover it couldn't go anywhere because the older ox was too big and too strong for it is that right can you see that picture or that the the young ox would go well you might be telling me to go over there but I'm trying to go over here and then and would be straining against the yoke and 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 what would happen is eventually the younger ox would get exhausted. And would go and realise I can't beat this older ox. The older ox is too big and too strong and too determined. The older ox knows where it should go and it is going there. And no matter what I do, I cannot stop it from going where it needs to go. So rather than fight against it, I'll actually submit under its authority and go where it goes. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes, where I'll talk from my experience, I won't say it for you, but sometimes that's me. I'm that younger ox who wants to run ahead of God and go, God, let's go here, let's go do this and do that. You, I know you want me to do that, or we go, we jump ahead of God, or we go, we God, I really feel you're taking me this way when God's actually not said anything, but we, we just want to do. We, we're so passionate and eager. At, And the reality is, God's like that old ox, he's too big and strong. And until we realise that, hey, it's not about where I want to go, it's actually about leaning on the older ox and following him wherever he wants to go. That we actually, the, the young ox learns and actually discovers that life becomes a lot easier when you come under the authority of the older ox and that once you just all my all his responsibility is just to stay in step with the older ox and he'll take you where you need to go and he'll give you the strength it actually isn't he'll do most of the work anyway the older ox will do most of the work all you have to do is stay in step with him what a powerful picture of our relationship with god Uh, An amazing example of how our relationship with God is called to work. We're the younger ox who needs to depend and lean on the older ox for direction and strength. I just thought it's another powerful example of what God has created us to be. We've talked about it often. He is the creator. We are the created. He is the shepherd and we are the sheep. Isn't that right? He is the potter. And we are the clay. He is the Lord, and we are his servants. This idea of we are created to depend on God as our source. He leads, and we follow. Our job's to watch him, our job's to keep in step with him. Our job, as Jesus said, is to learn from him, learn where he would want us to go, learn how he would want us to live. That's our responsibility in this relationship. The funny thing is that a lot of commentators describe this as God's upside down kingdom. Anyone ever heard that situation? That God's kingdom is totally contrary to everything we know. Everything we've been taught in life, that our whole society, the way it it's functions and the way it works it, is all about independence. Isn't that right? But God said, Jesus said in God's kingdom it needs to be different. It's not the same. In other words, God hasn't called us to be independent and self-sufficient and not dependent on anyone. He's actually created us to depend on Him. He's actually created us to rely upon Him. You see, this is all throughout the Word of God, this idea of God's upside-down kingdom, where it's, where God's kingdom is totally contrary to what we're taught in our lives and in the world. You see, the world tells us that we revere those people who are wise. We revere those people who are the most popular. Even our governmental system is done that way. That democracy tells us that the most popular person gets the job. Isn't that right? They're going through this in, in America right now. Whoever's going to win between Trump and Biden, the one who gets the most votes wins. So that's how it's elevated. But in God's kingdom, he says that he chooses the foolish things of the world To confound the wise. He says, if you want to enter my kingdom, you must become like a little child. Totally contrary to what our world tells us. In God's kingdom, to have life, he says you need to die. Or in other words, Jesus said it this way, take up your cross and follow me. That if you want to receive in God's kingdom, you have to give. Not take, you have to give, you have to be generous. Jesus said, If you want to be a leader in my kingdom, what did he say? You have to learn to serve. You have to be the servant of all. To be exalted in God's kingdom, we have to humble ourselves. Jesus said, The first will be last, and the last shall be first. Our world is driven by our feelings. Everything's about feeling good and feeling healthy, feeling this, feeling that. Whereas God's kingdom says, the just shall live by faith. See, God's ways are different to our experience. Our world is contrary to God's kingdom. And this battle is not separate from us as Christians. As Christians, we face this battle every day. The Bible describes it as the battle between our spirit and and our flesh. Galatians 5:17 says for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It reminds me of Paul saying in Corinthians, why do I do the things I don't want to do and do the things that I shouldn't do? Isn't that right? Anyone relate to that? it's the battle of the two oxes that will will we bring our lives under the authority of God or will we allow our lives to be self-driven self-motivated self or independent of the other this is the interesting thing is that God's word makes it very very clear that this battle between our flesh and the spirit is one in our minds between our ears. Romans 12:2 says do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10:3 and 5 says for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with as Christians are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. How do we do this? And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, the battle happens in our thinking, that we would make every thought obedient to Christ to Christ and his kingdom, not the kingdom of this world. So if thinking is that crucial, then it makes sense that we need to know and we need to understand how thinking works. Psychologists tell us that to live healthy lives and balanced lives, our thinking should get our feelings in order. Isn't that right? That if we're going to have good emotions and thoughts, then our thinking should drive that. But who knows that in reality, most of our experiences here, other than maybe some very healthy people here, most cases our feelings actually drive our thinking. Is that right? This is really critical to understand because we need to understand that how our thinking works is Our thinking does need to be fed. Something has to feed it. And you go, well, how does that work? I want to give you a simple illustration because something is driving your feelings or something is driving your thinking. It can be your feelings or it can be other things, but the truth that we know is that our thinking needs to be fed. I want to give you an example how this works. I'm going to tell you something in a moment and what I'm going to ask you to do is not think about it. So right now, I don't want you to think about pink flying elephants. So right now, pink flying elephants, don't think about them. Get them out of your head. Don't think about pink flying elephants. Whatever you do, I know some of you might be asleep, but don't think about pink flying elephants. Who's not thinking about pink flying elephants right now? Anyone? Tristan, you're not thinking about anything. Yeah. Yes, right. <laughs> you're a teenager. <laughs> um, the fact is, who could not get the picture of pink flying elephants out of their head? The, the reality of it is the fact that our thinker needs to be fed. It, 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 you feed your thinker and with a thought and you think it isn't that right? (laughs) it's the way it works so here's the challenge for you guys this is where where it really the rubber hits the road what's feeding your thinking or dare I say who's feeding your thinking in modern society in most cases it's our emotions and our feelings that feed our thoughts we all have this hunger to feel good, to feel loved, to feel accepted and all of that sort of stuff and so that this hunger um, drives us to feel good and when we're driven to feel good then that affects the way we think. Let me give you an example of this. You've had a tough week, the boss has been on your case and you're thinking it's just been a tough week, I deserve to feel better so... I'm gonna. When I get home, I'm gonna just have a glass of wine, maybe calm down, relax. But before you know it, you think, "Oh, I'm still not feeling that great, so I'm just gonna have another one." And before you know it, another one. Before you now there bottles one bottles down, and you're thinking might need another one because I'm still not feeling the way I need to feel. Is that right? Don't put your hand up. Sorry. Or <laughs> well, let me give you this example. Um, You're angry because you've just missed a promotion at work or your boss has been on your case and you're thinking, This is just not fair. I deserve better. I deserve because you're angry and upset and you feel like you've been ripped off, you go, I deserve better. I deserve more. And and so you're thinking set your your anger about not getting what you need at work drives you to say, well, then I'm just going to work harder and harder and harder to the detriment of everything else because I need to be acknowledged. I need to be noticed. I need acknowledgement and, and acceptance. And so you do that, and, but underneath is this anger that's driving these thoughts. And, and you, you don't that anger doesn't come out at work or in places like that, but your wife might say one thing and then it's like, bang, is that right? You just they have it. Like they go, where on earth did that come from? Or maybe for you women, you're driving along in your car and someone cuts you off. And then all of a sudden, rage. Is that right? Anyone experienced that? And you go, where did that anger come from? It's because you've been bottling it up and you're going, It's not fair, it's not fair, I deserve better, I deserve better. And your thinking goes that way and then all of a sudden one situation just explodes. When our emotions drive our feel, are driven by our feelings, it's called performance-based living. It's simply, put it this way, that I find my value in what I do rather than who I am. This is everywhere in society, including the church. I want to show you an example from me, uh, so you don't have to feel like it's attacking you. But as the pastor of the church, I'm going to share with you an example on how this performance-based living and th- works. In other words, I find my value in what I do rather than who I am. And that's when your feelings drive your thinking. That's what you're doing. You're saying, "I, I need to be valued. I need to be accepted. I need to be shown worth and value." But you're you're using your feelings to drive your thinking rather than the other way. So I'm the pastor here at the Port Church and I've been designated to preach. And so they've sent out the message and they've said, Pastor Ben this week is preaching, so make sure you're in church. And so I, like, I rock up to church Sunday morning, prepared all week, getting ready, <laughs> thinking this is, someone's already leaving, um, thinking this is, this is my moment. And I get here and I and I get up to preach and the church is half full than it normally is. then my thinking starts to hit me or my my feelings start to hit my thinking and i I feel like no one's here today and I feel I feel deflated. I feel why didn't anyone show up? They knew I was preaching this week. Don't they like me? They don't like me then What sort of pastor am I? Am I a failure? Am I a failure as a pastor because the church is half full when I get up to preach? Like Damien preached last week and it was full. What's going on? (laughs) They mustn't like me. I must be a useless pastor. I must be hopeless. I must not be good. And if God really put me in this job, then surely he would give me the ability to do the job. So maybe there's something wrong with me. But no, no, I'm all right. So it's obviously they're the problem, and they don't want to hear the truth, and they they don't like. And so, can you see how my feelings start to drive my thinking? If my feelings are driving my thinking, then I'm thinking, or then, then I come to the conclusion at the end of it all, is that well, I just need to work harder, I just need to pray harder, I just need to spend more time with God, and then I'll be all right. I'll, because this whole problem that I've got is solved by hard work you see everything that i'm thinking is driven by self it's driven by how i feel and and everything i'm motivated to do things by how i feel and how my emotions are getting the better of me this is what performance-based faith looks like but here's the exciting thing that in god's kingdom god's kingdom doesn't operate on performance, it operates on position. I love the first song that Larissa picked today, it just confirmed what I was preaching today when it says, you know, I know whose I am, I'm a child of God type of thing, because that's what it comes down to. Our thoughts should be governed by who we are, not what we do. I'm a child of God, I come from that place. If you want a role model for this, there's no better role model than Jesus himself when he was here on earth. As he walked this earth, he was a, a man that experienced everything that we experienced. He was human and he knew what it was to be angry. He knew what it was to be frustrated. You see him with his disciples sometimes and he, he's going, oh, why, you have little faith, why do I, how long do I have to put up with you guys for? uh, And guess what? Jesus also experienced anxiety. But the fact that we see in his life, his emotions never got the better of him because his emotions never dictated to him who he was. He was positioned correctly with the Father and everything he did came out of his relationship with the Father. He even said this statement, I only do... What the Father tells me to do. You see, Jesus was able to keep his emotions in order because his thought life was fed. Remember, your thoughts have to be fed. His thought life was fed by his relationship with God. He kept his thought life in check by allowing God's love to drive his life. Allowing who he was in God to drive his life. So when Jesus got angry, you can think of the classic case of when Jesus got angry. When was it? Flip the tables in the temple. Flip the table. Now some of you go, well that's out of control, isn't it? What did he say when he did that? He said, a zeal for my father's house consumes me. He was driven by his passion and his love for God. He said these people have made my father's house into a den of iniquity instead of a house of prayer. So he was dri- his anger and righteous anger is possible but his anger was driven by his knowledge of God's love. This is really important because you, you think of it when he was anxious as a, the the moment of anxiety in the garden just before his going to be arrested and be crucified, it literally says he is sweating blood. That's how anxious he is at this situation. So driven, but he says these powerful words like, God, if you can take this cup from me, do it. But then he says those words, but not my will, but your will be done. In other words, my life is fully submitted under your yoke. I'll go wherever you want me to go. My life isn't determined by my feelings, it's determined by who you are and who you've called me to be. I'll give you one last example, which is the example of Jesus on the cross. And people are cursing Jesus. He's up on the cross and they're saying, you know, if you're the son of God, why don't you just get yourself down or call a a big legion of angels to come and save you type of thing. And Jesus says those powerful words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So in that moment, he was not driven by his feelings. He could have felt sorry for himself. Oh, what am I doing here? Everyone's against me. No, he said, God, I know your love for these people. And I know they're lost. And so I'm here and I ask you to forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the, the whole thing about allowing your position to drive your thinking jesus was able to do this because he was secure in his relationship with the father he knew who the father was and he knew he who he was and he lived accordingly if we're going to win this battle in our minds we need to know our value comes from god we need to know that we are his children We need our thoughts to be driven from the foundation of our relationship with God. And that relationship is based in his love for us. In Ephesians it says, I lost my clicker. It's all right. having some technical difficulties. Ephesians it says, Follow God's example. Therefore as dearly loved children... So what are we? And whose example are we meant to follow? His example, as I explained to you, was driven by his relationship with God and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. So what's he saying? He's saying, live your life like Jesus did. Live so that love guides your decisions and your making your decision-making processes. Allow God's example to be your example. So if I take, go rewind back to my earlier example of the pastor and the church is half empty. If I'm living according to this idea that my foundation is in God, my basis is not by my performance but by who I am and my position with God, so I, I rock up to church and numbers are down and people aren't here. It, I, the first thing I say to myself is that that does not determine whether God loves me or not. God loves me no matter how many people are here in church. And the fact is, my value is not determined by the size of this church. It's determined by what Jesus did for me on the cross. That's what determines my value, that Jesus was willing to die for me. Not by My value is not determined by what I do for him, it's by what he has done for me. And then I think about the people and I am reminded that the truth is that God loves them as well. And God loves them whether they're in church or not. That's not the point, whether they're in church or not point is that God loves them. So my attitude towards them changes to be an attitude of love and compassion rather than judgment and criticism. My job is not to perform but to be faithful to what God has asked me to do out of my relationship with him and that's to be faithful in the fruitful times as well as the difficult times. See God Ask me to bear fruit, but what fruit does God call us to bear? It's got nothing to do with how many people show up or how many souls are saved or, all, or how much money in the offering. The fruit that he calls us, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, one of the kindness, one of the significant ones is faithfulness, in that I would be faithful to what God has called me to do. So in that moment, I have the choice, will I come under the yoke of Jesus and find rest and strength for my soul and learn from him and learn from his ways and go, I will love these people no matter how many people are in church or not. I'm called to love them because that's what God's called me to do. And understand that becoming like Jesus is what matters most, more than how big our church is. Does that make sense? You could apply that to your life in many different ways and applications. When you go to work, are you going to promote yourself and to uplift yourself? Or are you going to be like Jesus to the community that you serve in and you work in? What's, what's, your, what's driving your thoughts? Who's feeding your thoughts? Is it being fed by self or is it being fed by who God is and who you are in God? I want to close with a scripture, if we can. Thank you. It's Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, lots of whatevers, but if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. I said a few weeks ago that we know who we are when we know who God is. And when I read this passage and it says, think of whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent. I think that's a powerful picture. The only thing that I know is like that is God. God is the one who is true, noble. So in my thinking, what this is saying is allow God to consume your thoughts. Allow who He is to consume your thoughts. When this happens, then that drives our behaviours and our feelings. This is what it means to take your yoke, His yoke upon us. This is where we find rest. When we stop striving, stop struggling... Stop allowing our feelings to drive our thoughts and we just come under his love and allow him to lead and guide us. Allow him, him and who he is and how he sees us, that he sees us as his children, our, his dearly loved children, that I can rest in that to know I'm okay because God loves me as his child. When we allow that to feed our thinking, things make sense. When we fall short, when we make mistakes, because we all will, it's a reality of life, we are all human, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fall short. But rather than go, oh, I've failed, what can I do to make it right? We're reminded that of God's love for us and what Jesus has done for us. And we go, I can now come back to God's presence, not because of, of who, like, what I do, but just because of the fact that He loves me, and I can rest in His love, and come under His yoke and allow that to bring me strength. That's what Jesus says: Learn from Me, learn how I did life. Learn from Me, come under My yoke, and I will give you rest. I will give you the strength you need. I love. I I actually just found this scripture. The last one up there, is it there? Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. I found this translation of it just last night. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. And i would never seen it like this, but it, this translation said, Think about Him in all your ways and He will guide you into right paths. It's exactly what we're talking about here. That when we allow God to consume our thinking, when we allow who he is, that he is good and that he wants nothing but good for us, he's going to be with us through whatever we go through and that he will lead and guide us. But we have to place ourselves under his yoke. Here's the challenge and I'll finish with this. Like in any relationships, this this takes time. Work and the reality is for us, the great thing that God's given us is our church family. That I know it's messy and it's hard sometimes, but we're in this together to help one another and spur one another on to live where we allow God to drive our thoughts, not our feelings. That His ways drive our ways, and so we're here to help each other. And so, my challenge out to you today is to strive for this but also to help each other to do it. When you see someone struggling with their thinking, to encourage them, what's God saying through this? What's God saying to you? Do you remember that you're a child of God? Will you rest in his love and his care for you? Don't forget what he has done for you. It's not about what you can do for him. It's all about what he's done for you. That we would encourage each other to learn from him, to trust him. Let's pray. I want you to take a moment just to reflect on what God is saying to you today through all that I've shared maybe it needs a total reevaluation of what what's driving your thinking who's feeding your thoughts is it your feelings or is it is it god and maybe it's a realignment that you need to do and bring yourself back under god's yoke maybe you've never ever done that and you just need to say god I, i'm sorry for doing life my way and i need your help that's as simple as it has to be But right now, as I pray, I'd encourage you and invite you to pray along those lines. God, help me come under your yoke and to trust you with my life and not to do it in my own strength. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're teaching us. I thank you for revealing everything we need to know in your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us to become more like him. Help our lives to be driven by our relationship with you rather than our feelings and our emotions, but to be driven by who you are, that you are a good God who has done good things for us and who has provided a way out from the turmoil of our lives through a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.